good to have you, my brother. This, uh, many of you know is Stabin, and uh, we've been doing ministry together for several years now. He's our One Kingdom ambassador in Nicaragua and for that area of the world and does so many good things and it's time to be with us. And uh, uh, typically we don't even let a missionary near the mic too much, but we're going to let you share something if you'd like to and then we're going to pray over you, okay? So thank you very much uh, for hosting me here, for having me here this morning. And please continue to have uh, Nicaragua in your prayers. Thursday was a national strike day and the police is... uh, Pushing back, uh, they were, they've been taking pictures of the businesses and that um, supported the strike. So it's a hard time for the church. Just pray for us that we keep being a beacon of hope, of hope and faith for the community. That's right. And uh, Stephen's father is uh, uh, a minister there at one of the local churches, just does a fantastic job, is, has a great family. And, brother, we appreciate you and your sacrifice you. and the things that you do for the, for the kingdom. Alan's going to lead us in a word of prayer. Father, as uh, we surround our brother, first of all, I'm just so grateful uh, for his heart, for you and the kingdom, for his family. And uh, he, like so many around the world, are working in a place that's very difficult. Um, political unrest, so many things that work against and and hamper the work of your kingdom. And yet soldiers like this carry on and they do so strongly. And so today we want him to know we surround him in love, uh, that we're here with him. And even when he's back home and and working in Nicaragua in the church there, that the church here, White Sparrow, is always there. We love him deeply uh, and we support him. We're so grateful for what he does for one kingdom uh, and for all of our ministries around the world. Bless this brother, bless his family, and continue to be with the church in Nicaragua. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Thank you brother. <clears throat> Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be back here uh, with you. Some of you I met for the first time today. I'm not a visitor. I used to work here. I live here in town. <laughs> Even though sometimes it doesn't feel like that. You don't mind if I put my LSU mug here up front, do you? That has my water in it. You know, we, we watch a lot online, at least I do when we're on the road. And so I know this is in the shot. And welcome to all of you who are watching today. And a lot of times that's me. And I just like people to know that we have a few wayward souls, Ole Miss and Alabama, even sacrilege here in our church. But we are an LSU church here, are we not? Can, can I say that out loud? Is that okay? <laughs> Even Arkansas has made its way in, <laughs> but that's okay because the, the Tigers and the Hogs are well, I, together. You know, I knew the uh, uh, Louisiana needed help, and so I got here as fast as I could, uh, and, and so we've been doing ministry together ever since. So uh, I do uh, appreciate uh, uh, being able to speak again with Al. Uh, some of you may not know we preached here together for a number of years, and so uh, and Al, I'll, I'll plug something uh, for you. And he de- he didn't pay me anything for this, but uh, his new book, him and Lisa's new book, just came in. It's called Desperate Forgiveness. Uh, how it's how still, mercy is still warm. It's so hot it's, off the press. Yeah. This is the first one. And this is the first one. And so uh, I, I, I'm taking it. Uh, I signed it to you. So uh, anyway, if you get a chance, you might want to pick that up and read it's it. It's worth a lot more on eBay, Mike, if I sign it. So just <laughs> <Okay>. so you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, leaders. Tommy, thank, I'm grateful for Tommy and the, the job that he did last week. And when we talk about elders, sometimes we, we go straight to the uh, what's typically known as qualifications passages, and we forget what the real picture of elders are because it's not about 
meeting X numbers of things and checking off boxes. That's just not what it's about. And when you look at it in context, you learn a whole lot more. Jesus is called the chief shepherd. And so Tommy really set it up right for us last week by looking at the 23rd Psalm. If you want to see an example of an elder, you look at the 23rd Psalm. You get the character of God and the character of Christ. You've got everything that you need to have great servant leaders in a church. And so I appreciate him kind of jumping off there for us because sometimes in our culture it's different because we are so far removed from that shepherding culture uh, uh, in which the time they lived in the New Testament. And, and so we want to talk a little bit more about that. So we spent some time, obviously, the last couple of weeks, Mike and I praying about this. And I thought, why is it so hard for us to connect um, with sort of the shepherding mindset. I mean, those of us who have studied our Bibles a whole life, we, we get it. But if you just talk to someone out here, you know, someone you run into, they're not really going to understand that concept at all. Now, if God had decided in his infinite wisdom to use cowboys instead of shepherds, we would have gotten it, right? Because I don't know about you, Mike, when, when I grew up, I didn't have a lot of shepherding heroes in movies, but I had a lot of cowboys. There was John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, I mean, all these guys, because I watched what they did with the cows, and I thought, man, what a lifestyle that would have been. That connects with our American spirit, right? But the problem is cowboys drive herds, whereas shepherds nurture flocks. It's a different way of looking at it. Uh, Cowboys brand their cows to recognize them where in the bible we read about shepherds having such an intimacy although with, i've noticed several people have got our well we do have a lot of brands we have these a days. brand we have a lot of branding going on nowadays but that's exactly right. even lisa tried to get she and i to do a tattoo for the new book and i just said i, I just i can't uh, it's just <laughs> those of you that are inked up god bless you um I got some myself back during when i was working on my testimony in my teenage years and i figured you know i just would gone another path anyway yeah so there is branding (laughs) that happens uh but shepherds have that intimate relationship in fact so much so that the bible tells us that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and so you see this whole picture instead of the idea of driving and herding and and guns that protect we see an idea of intimacy uh, in the scripture. And I think that's a great way for us to be able to look at it and understand what shepherding really is. You know, uh, cowboys protect with rifles and pistols and guns. Shepherds protect with a staff and a rod. That's right. Up close, personal. And so sometimes it's really hard living in our culture of America to get this thing understood about the difference between elders. Elders are not board members. Elders are not uh, uh, function like we function in business in America. What makes someone a great success in business may not make them a great elder in the church. Those are totally two different animals, and yet they get really confused sometimes. And I know a lot of churches that basically are organized like that, but unfortunately that's not biblically the way it was organized in the Bible. Because the church is not as much of an organization as it is an organism. It's a live body that grows and needs nurturing and needs growing and, and fed and, and taken care of. And, and thus the need for an overseer or a bishop or a caretaker or an elder. And so uh, it has a lot of challenges. But we have a lot of good, a lot of good men here, young men that are already developing the characteristics they're going to need to, to feed the flock. But remember, it's not... That the concept of elders in the New Testament was not born out of an American democracy. It's not something the church votes on. Do you want to get input from people? Sure. But in the Bible, that's not how it happened. Elders are discerned. 
not decided. The scriptures give us a picture. And we look and leaders discern from that. Like Paul and Barnabas did and like Timothy did and Titus did. And they discern what, who shepherds and how that works within a body to take care of one another. So it's really sometimes difficult for us in our culture to look back into the culture of what a shepherd really did. And I think especially us as Americans because, let's face it, we rebelled against a monarchy to create this democratic republic. Uh, and I'm glad we did. I love it. And what we were talking about earlier uh, is, is one of the great things about our country. But it's difficult sometimes to wrap our brains around the idea that all the Bible is written with the concept of a monarchy and a king. And yet now we look at the situation and we see that God says, I will raise up my leaders and anoint them. And we all we do is recognize them and follow them and submit ourselves to them. So last week, Tommy talked about uh, looking at it from Psalm 23. Today, we've got three texts that we want to sort of show the picture of the functioning picture of what you look for in shepherds, both both in ones who are currently shepherding, but also those future guys that are going to be leading our church here. By the way, I'm all across the country and a lot of different kind of churches with a lot of great people. But I'm telling you this morning, I would rather be right here, my home church, Whitesville Road. I love you guys so deeply, at least than I do. And I just want you to know you are missed and loved. And when I'm in your midst, I feel like I'm with family, and I want to thank you for that. The first one is, lead not Lord, from 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at these first four verses. To the elders among you, Peter writes, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, Peter himself, of course, was an elder, but he was also, of course, one of the twelve, uh, was an apostle. And so he, had, he saw a lot of everything that went into this idea of raising up leaders. We know also he is one of those that was the recipient uh, of support. And that's why he mentions that about dishonest gain. He was a supported elder as well. And so you see all that across the spectrum in the first century. But I love what he lays out in the characteristics. First thing he says, you're an overseer. Your job is to look out for the people. And you notice he says you do this without coercion. In other words, you don't persuade others the word coercion means to 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 use force threats or manipulation and i unfortunately have seen situations where that's the way people led even in the lord's church it's very sad when you see that force and coercion he says don't do that but he also said that a leader is also not coerced by those same things by force and manipulation that is not at all how the lord set his kingdom up to be led was not by these uses it also says not to be greedy or dishonest and an example, not an executive. There's, uh, it's funny sometimes as leaders, people have this idea, and sometimes especially people who come into a church body and they're, uh, they're new, they don't know how things work or whatever, and you're, they're trying to fit in, trying to figure out, but if there's something that goes awry, there's something they don't like, it's like, you elders need to do something about so-and-so. 
you elders, I've had that statement tell me, you elders need to do something about this. You elders need to do something about that. And I'm like, okay, uh, what would you propose? I mean, uh, you, there's no, uh, there's no hidden authority that, that, or power that says all of a sudden, uh, I can make somebody do something. Look, if, if we had as leaders the ability to make people do things, I'd make all of you be here all the time. And I'd make you give at least 10%. And I've not been effective at that. I'll just tell you, that authority doesn't exist, right? Because why? Because that's not what an elder does. You don't make people do anything. You hopefully nourish and grow and help people. You walk with them. But it is very odd in our American society because we're so independent that we look at things, even though, even though we might criticize others, we think live the entitlement life. We have it when we come to church. I'm entitled. You owe me this. And I'm very independent. And if I don't get what I want, I, you know, then I, I go my own independent way. So there's that, there's that aspect sometimes of an American culture that, that's really difficult. Because it's hard for us sometimes to understand this idea of being led and being willing to be fed. And being willing to, for someone to speak into our lives. Uh, uh, our elders have spoken to my life and helped me grow in so many different ways uh, throughout the, the years of being here from, from way back in time and have been such good shepherds. And so it's, it's not authority in terms of forcing something to happen. Elders are just trying to feed people and nourish them the best we can. And you know what? We don't always do it very well because we're... We're just human beings trying to grow ourselves. And so that means we're all in this thing together. It works as a family first. It's a family. And we can't force feed people. But we can love people. And we can help each other grow and become more like Jesus. And that's really all we're trying to do anyway, right? That's right. You know, you think about a young Peter when he was trying to figure all this out. Mike and I. As he said, I've had the benefit of being here a lot of years and under other people's mentorship and tutelage and discipleship that has helped our lives. And then you sort of look up on it and you realize you're those guys now. And I think that's where Peter was when he was writing this letter. You imagine him being there the night in John 13 when Jesus was going to show them what leadership was all about. And I think about our flag, as we mentioned earlier, and sort of the regal majesty of it and what it means for freedom. And we see those stars and stripes, right? It does something to you. What would be the banner for Christianity? Jesus showed us, John 13, and Peter saw it. It was a dirty towel because he got down on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples, much to their discomfort as it would be to mine or you, right? And yet he was showing them something about leadership. This isn't about him. And this is the son of God, the one who created the universe that was down on his knees, washing the feet of his disciples. And he was showing them, this is your banner for Christianity. Mike and I, years ago at camp, we got all the campers, remember, to draw their banners. And they drew some amazing things. But nobody came up with the concept of a dirty towel. Because it's so hard for us to see it from that perspective. And yet Peter finally realizes, and I love it, not only is it about the current elders that he was challenging, but he challenges then the church at large for those young men, look, this is what I want you to aspire to, to be these sort of leaders. 
You need to be thinking about that and praying about that. Our, our church now, our leadership is in a season of praying that God will raise up from our number more elders to lead us so that this 60-year-old church, 60 years down the road, will be much healthier and much more godly. Look what he says in 1 Peter 5, 5. In the same way, in other words, just like I just talked about with elders, you who are younger, what should you do? Submit yourselves to your elders. Now, that's pretty clear. If you want to be one who leads by example, you're going to be one who has no problem submitting the leadership. That's where he starts. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the characteristics in this particular section of Scripture is submit humbly. Basically, that just says, I, I know in my own heart, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to take input from people who are more spiritually mature than I am. And uh, one of the things, uh, uh, even as, as a youth minister, one of the things I tried to hammer into our, the kids back when I did youth ministry was, look, when you get advice, get advice from someone who's more spiritually mature than you are. Don't, guess where they normally get advice from? Each other. Their best friends. Who are having a problem with the same decisions they are. You know, find someone who's spiritually more mature than you. One of the things that parents always try to encourage parents, expose your kids to great adults. So they have somebody else to go through. There's going to be a time when they don't listen to your voice. They need other great adults in their life. Being able to be submissive to, to voices who are solid in God's word, who can help guide and help you walk is, is so important. And then he says, look, they... The anxiety is lessened when you do that. You can cast your cares and you can put everything because you're trusting God. You're trusting who God has laid in your life. And so you can get rid of some of the anxiousness that's bothering your heart about decisions in life. And because you can have somebody to walk through this uh, thing with you on your journey. And that's so important that we understand we're not by ourselves. And then this idea of being alert and sober. Being clear-minded recognizing Satan is there and boy would he really love to attack you and he'll do it from an angle you've never thought about. If he can't get you in one other area of life, he tries to get you to another. And there's a, there's a clear reason we need to be clear-minded and alert because of the ta- attacks of Satan. Earlier this week I spoke in, in Washington, D.C. to a group of pastors and the topic they gave me to speak on was manhood, family, and the church in America. What's the condition of those three? And so when I dove into that and began to look, of course, like many of you, I became deeply concerned about what I see in manhood, family, and church in terms of our culture. That's what I was asked to speak on. But when I got to thinking about the church and how she seems to be shrinking, especially in influence, and I think about the family and how now it's being redefined. I mean, no more man and woman, right? It's being defined into whatever people come up with. 
and it begins to break down. But I looked back at that individual life, not just of a man, that was this setting, but a man or a woman. And I thought, that's where the attack of Satan is at the individual level. Because if he can destroy a man or a woman, then he can destroy a family. And if he can destroy a family, then he can then destroy a church. And you take a maligned and destroyed church and you destroy a culture. Are we not seeing that this very day and across our great country that we love so much? And so we as a church look at that and say, what can we do to challenge? And I think that's exactly what Peter does in this text. He looks at the young men in this case and he says, look, you've got to understand the evil one is out to destroy. He is a thief. He kills. That's what he does. And I don't think there's any better time in the scripture that we see where Jesus gives us a roadmap on dealing with Satan than when Satan came to him and tempted him. And how did he do it? First, he hit his physical. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, getting ready for his ministry. He was hungry. And Satan comes along and says, if you're hungry, eat. In other words, whatever is there physically, you just do it. What did Jesus tell him? Man does not live by bread alone, but the words of God. In other words, there's more spiritually. Then he challenged his destiny. He took him up, remember, on top of the temple. And he says, if you throw yourself down, I mean, be bold, be empowering, show people who you are. What did you say? No, no, Satan. The plan of God is what I'm here for. It wasn't time for him to reveal himself. He said, do not put your Lord, the God, to the test. God is in control of your destiny. And then what was the last one? He took him on that mountain. He looked at all the great kingdoms of the world. And he said, these are mine. And as I look around the world today, he wasn't lying that time. Satan is in control of so many lives, so many nations, so many people. And he looked at Jesus and says, I'll do, give all this to you. We'll rule together if you bow your knee to me. And he's been saying this life from the very beginning of humanity. And what did Jesus say? There can be only one. And it's not you. It's not you. It's Jesus Christ. That's who we bow the knee to. And so when I look at this passage and I see this challenge about the evil one, it's a reminder to me that the temptations that we face every day are not uncommon. They've been around since the beginning. But the answer is common. There can be only one. There's one destiny. It's the plan of God for my life. And spiritual will always trump the physical. Amen. You know, the other thing out of the book of James we want to mention is that he, elders are concerned about heal, healing, not hampering. In James chapter 5, the writer writes this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, one of the greatest honors to me uh, and the greatest blessings to me as as one of the elders is in the times that we've gathered around people and, and pray with them. Hmm. And or when they've requested, would you anoint us? And sometimes that happens in the assembly. Someone will be going through something difficult and we'll anoint them with oil. We'll practice this verse and we'll pray for them. There's nothing in the oil. There's no power in our hands. It's, it's not that. 
it, the, the power is all about submitting our request to God and, and at, together as a family and as leaders, we're asking God to, to do something great for someone's life. And so it's a, it's a, it's a very humbling thing in that out. I mean, when we sit down with people and pray with them, uh, I, I feel like, you know, why should I be this? There's some, there are a lot of people more spiritually mature than I am, and yet, I'm, I, yet I have the honor of lifting someone's name. You think about that. Your name gets spoke out loud before the Creator of the universe by people who are spiritually mature who have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. When like, I, I remember, uh, I, I remember uh, back in the heyday of the show uh, when Phil got a lot of criticism over an article. You might, many of you will remember that. And, and there was a lot of press. There was a lot of of cameras around, my phone was ringing off the hook for interviews. You know, when when TMZ calls you and quotes you, you know you really made it as a preacher, right? So, uh, uh, so, but I remember that a guy was asking me, "Hey, what have you talked to Phil? What what's his response?" I said, "Let me tell you exactly what his response was. I was just with him. I was just with him all evening. Let me tell you what we were doing. A young lady in our church family had just got diagnosed that day with cancer." And her and her mom and dad came to our elders. We were in an elders meeting. And Phil was on his knees. He happened to be the one to pray that night. He was on his knees and laying hands on a young woman who had just got this news in her life. I said, that, that's what he was doing. He wasn't concerned about the publicity out here swirling around in the world. There was a greater concern as a shepherd and elder about someone's life who was in a very difficult journey. That's, that's what he was doing along with all the rest of the elders. That's what we were doing. That's what elders do. And, and it's such an honor and a privilege to pray and to honor people's requests and to know that God hears those names and those concerns that we lift up. And look, not only is it the physical side that he mentions, but it's also the spiritual. He puts it in the context of being prayed over and confessed for our sins as well. And I think the reason James put those two together is that, you know, ultimately something physical is going to get us. Right? I mean, we realize that. The older we get, we realize we're not going to be here forever. Now, we're going to be in heaven forever. But even healed on this earth, we know there's going to be some point in time where we succumb to this life. And that's why the spiritual life has to be right. What I love about shepherds is that they, and forever families, they walk alongside during the darkest times. Mike and I went to Haiti after the earthquake a few years ago with Ben. And like 50-something nursing students had been killed in, this, in their church building during the earthquake. It was horrible. And so we came the first time they were meeting. And I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know about Mike, but I was overwhelmed in the moment. I mean, it was like, what do I say to a church that's gathering together that's undergone such loss and, and tragedy? And so I'm praying, you know, oh, Holy Spirit, you got to speak through today. And the, the preacher comes up to Mike and I, and he's in tears. And he says, oh, brothers, brothers. You don't realize when you walk through that back door, just your presence, being from America, being elders in the church, what that does for us. And instantly, I felt at peace because I realized 
That's what shepherds do. They show up at the worst times, and then God directs them on what they need to do. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that in my own life right here among this flock. The worst, darkest time. And my shepherds walked alongside Lisa and I. That's how we write books. By the way, in this book, many of the stories are stories from folks right here. Anna and Trey and others who have been so gracious to us to allow us to tell the great stories of forgiveness that are present here among our number. That happens through strong leadership. And the elders not only lay hands on and pray and have people's best interests at heart, but elders should protect, not prowl. Look in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Now I know that none of, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. You know, the protection side is always a difficult thing because we want to teach truth, we want to show grace, and we want to protect people's uh, hearts and protect people's souls. And so uh, I think one of the things that gets lost today is an in-depth study of the book. Uh, Going back to to understand that doctrine means something. Truth means something. And elders need to be able to handle the Bible well. And they're able to take care of any kind of false teaching that comes in among us that damages the sheep. And we need to be able to stand up. And you need to have that desire. We all do as a church. We need to rekindle within us. Get it? We need to rekindle in us the fire that burns, that desires to have the truth of God over any made man tradition. Whether it's our past or anybody else's around our culture. God's Word is what we have to stand strong on. We need to study God's Word. We need to dive into it. We need to learn it. There is something about protecting the doctrine that's important. And I think that's real easy to get lost in our culture of everybody's okay with what everybody believes. Everybody's not okay. And what everybody believes is not right. And we do need to dive in and make sure. I'm not saying everything doesn't get the same weight as the gospel. Not every doctrine gets the same weight of first importance. But we need to understand doctrine is important. And Jesus did tell us to desire and seek truth of his word. We need to be elders. We need leaders that are committed to the book. More than their own tradition. More than their background. More than what culture teaches them. But an honest examination and a continual relooking at the Bible to see what we believe. And out of that, gain strength and faith and nourishment to help others understand God's truth for their life. Ooh, Kelly, it's Sorry, I about got excited. I tell you what, it's a, you can roast marshmallows on this guy. Right? <laughs> I love it. I love what Paul says here. He says, remember, this is a church bought with his blood. This isn't the elders' church. This isn't the preacher's church. This isn't the members' church. This is Christ's church. That's right. He bought it with his blood. 
And we're here to let other people know that is of first importance truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to let other people know how they get in on this wonderful gift we have of salvation. The second is to disciple others. And then there are many other matters in the word of God. And we are challenged as your leaders to correctly handle the word of truth. That's what we're called to. And we protect. That's what God has called us to. And that means for you and for me. What a blessing. You see, we heard from Peter. We heard from James. We heard from Paul. All leaders in the first century church that would be able to look ahead even thousands of years in the future and still see men and women of God submitting themselves to the leadership that God raises up among his church. The greatest blessing that Jesus told his disciples was two things in John 14 through 16. He said, one, I'll never leave you alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and it's going to be better than me being here. And the disciples' minds were blown, and mine would have been too. But the Holy Spirit lives in us, and what a great blessing. The second thing he told them is, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you to be with me, and we're going to live forever. That promise is still holding for us today. I want to invite you to do a couple of things. I want you to, one, pray for our shepherds here at our church and our leadership, for the burden that comes with leadership, and for the blessing. I want you to ask, I want to ask you to join our shepherds in praying for God's stirring in the hearts of future leaders in our church. And some of you may be feeling that already in your own heart. God is stirring. I want to stoke that fire to study his word, to follow the example, to be submissive and follow God and follow his leadership. All the things that we talked about today. You see, all souls matter to the forever family of God. They all matter. Every single one of us. You don't have to be an elder up front to matter to the kingdom. You impact someone in everything you do. And so I want to invite you today, if your soul is troubled, if you've never been saved, you've never made that step, that profession of faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized into him, we want to invite you to do that. A lot of people are watching us out there. Maybe your soul has been stirred. And we want to offer that prayer for you as well to come forward and experience healing if that's what you need and that touch of our leadership if that's what you need today. So why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?